Main Street to Wall Street, global business celebrity and former Fortune 100 C-suite executive Jeffrey Hazlett takes you inside the good, the bad, and the ugly of businesses today. Saddle up. It's time for All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. The markets are always volatile, but let's throw in a little more fuel to that fire. The general election coming up. Danielle DiMartino Booth is the CEO and chief strategist at Quill Intelligence, and she is someone who has her finger on the pulse, having spent nine years at the Federal Reserve Bank in Dallas. She's also a global thought leader on monetary policy, economics, and finance. Danielle is going to be addressing how the outcome of the election affects the national and global economy. And we want to know about that. I want to protect my pocketbook. She's also going to talk about how to prepare for future economic turmoil. Uh Uh-oh, that sounds like we got some coming. And what trends we need to be looking out for right now. Daniel, welcome back to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. Great to be here. How are you? Yeah, I gotta. I have to ask you. Talk about the elephant in the room. Got to got to just jump right in. Do it. I know you're a direct person. I've always been able to talk to you straight. You know, how do you think Wall Street's going to react to a Trump victory or to a Biden victory? So I think we're we're, we're realizing what Wall Street is going. How how Wall Street would would react to uh, a blue wave. That's what we've been seeing for the past few. Uh, weeks really in markets because we've been seeing bond yields rise and rising bond yields imply that massive stimulus spending is in the pipeline coming towards us. So that is the biggest manifestation of a Biden win. And there could also be some a good bit of turmoil if, if Biden wins. And again, you need the blue wave. Yeah, just, just because he wins, it, but if, if the Senate remains with the GOP, then you'll have a lot of nothing going on for former years. But if if the if the Senate flips, then you could theoretically have capital gains taxes increase. So investors might be looking to the fourth quarter of this year and saying, "Wow, stocks are at all time highs. I'm gonna I'm gonna take some of these gains off the table because at least I know my capital gains tax are going to be much lower in 2020 than they will be in 2021." I'm so surprised you described it on our radar. Yeah, thank you. I, I'm describe. I'm surprised you describe it as a blue wave because I believe e- even if Trump wins, that we're going to have to spend as much as up to 14 trillion. Is my guess. That's what I've said. That up to about 14 trillion is what we're going to have to see, regardless of who wins, in some kind of stimulus package because this has been the biggest economic downturn, all as we all know. Everybody wants to get back to work. We're nowhere close. I saw something yesterday that said 42 percent of renters are about to be evicted. I mean, that's I mean, that's horrendous. 30, 40, 50 million people being displaced in this country. So regardless, if you know, let's just say Trump wins, I think he's going to have to have a blue wave. Well, there you're right. You are right that there is massive stimulus spending in the offing. The worst case scenario possible is playing out right now. And that is that that we've got stimulus, no stimulus spending. It looks like, I mean, we get a headline every single day for four months. We've got an identical headline. Mnuchin and Pelosi are closer. Mnuchin and Pelosi, every single day. They may as well just like carbon copy it onto the next day, because that's exactly what I just tweeted out a few minutes ago before coming on with you. Mnuchin's not even in the country, Uh, (laughs) but, uh, but it doesn't matter if they're closer. Time is literally running out. And I don't think a McConnell led Senate is going to be signing off on 
two trillion plus dollars of stimulus spending. I just don't see it. To your point about evictions, the the CDC uh, rent uh, moratorium, rent eviction moratorium expires on December the thirty first. So I've I've. I probably read the same article you did, but what struck me was that there's 7.9 million evictions that are ready to be filed. Like the minute, I mean, it's like flipping a switch and there are more families that are at risk of being evicted than there have been before. So this is like, this is a societal crisis in the making. And the fact that we've been pondering stimulus for four whole months now and not doing something about it, 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 it's 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 so emblematic of, of the discord and how Washington, D.C. is simply not working right now. So you almost want to see some kind of radical. You almost want to see all you want to see Trump. You, you want to see the House flip to the Republicans and Trump win. Or you want to see the Senate flip to the Democrats and Biden win because something has to get done by the way that gives us a return on our investment. Think of the decades we've been talking about infrastructure spending and how many jobs that would, would have created right off the bat. The minute I, the first COVID headline that we saw, first case in the United States, you would have thought that infrastructure spending would have been passed the next day just to say, oh gosh, we're going to have skyrocketing unemployment. Let's do something immediately at the fiscal level to create jobs. That's low hanging fruit. Well, but speaking of that, are you? I'm surprised. I'm surprised, Danielle, that there hasn't been a CCC program. Hasn't been something that was Roosevelt esque in this whole package. Because I was expecting that. In fact, quite frankly, with the president that we have today, with the construction background he has, I would be going, and I would actually, and I've actually told him. I said, "Why aren't you doing something called Trump, Trump troops? That'll send the media crazy." But just put people back to work where they're building highways, roads, bridges, yeah. the infrastructure that's been, you know, taking us down. At least we're getting something for our money. Okay. Exactly. I mean, look, China. This year, China is going to build 22 new airports. <laughs> And, there, and there's nobody flying, but there you go. Nonetheless, let me ask you this question. You know, hey, Wall Street's going to be fine. They always win. That You know, they'll take it up. They'll take it down. That's the way they always do it. And what I want to know is what are the ramifications for Main Street? What happens to small business owners and entrepreneurs who are out there trying to make it? I want to know what, what can we expect, uh, you know, from the Fed? What can we expect from the government? What can we expect from economic conditions? You know, every interest rates, everything. What, what's, what's going to happen to small business? So, I mean... What has already happened to small businesses is an unmitigated disaster in U.S. history. One out of every seven small businesses is gone. And this was 47% of the U.S. workforce coming into this. So it's clear that something, some kind of a safety net failed the small business community. And something has to be done. My greatest fear, Jeffrey, is that, again, if there's no stimulus spending prior to the election, Companies that have been contemplating, you know, I saw the first filing today, the Brooklyn Coffee Company, part of their part of their chapter chapter 11 filing. This is a company that's been in business since 2009. Part of their chapter 11 filing was an $800,000 PPP loan that they're writing off Gone. and walking away. But but what I'm saying is if, if, if it appears that there's going to be no stimulus spending between now and let's say money in pocket Valentine's Day. So, you know, you, you get the new, the new administration, the new Congress gets to work after the day after the inauguration. 
best case scenario, there's immediate agreement consensus, a, a, a bill that's already ready to be voted on, and the money gets into people's hands on February the 14th. If I'm a small business owner here in the middle of October, in late October, saying I'm going to have to wait until Valentine's Day, I'm going to file. No, you can't make it. You won't be able to make it. There's no way, especially with the second wave that we're seeing in the virus. Uh, you know, a lot of a lot of employers have been hanging on. A lot of employers, like myself and others, who've been doing our very best to make it. You know, make the payrolls, do the things that we have to do, put off everything else, hoping something's going to break loose. But if hey, they can't make it until after the election, it's got to be ahead of time. C-suite radio. What do you think are the current? What are you currently seeing? Are you currently seeing any trends that can predict any kind of economic future that says, hey, I can count on this and what we need to look out for? So I I follow very, very, very closely every week the jobless claims. And I follow even more closely the complexion of the people losing their jobs. And what we've seen is a phenomenon. So let, let's bring housing into this. The Mortgage Bankers Association reported that in the, in the second quarter, there were more Americans as a percentage of mortgage holders and, and renters. There were, there were higher percentages of Americans who couldn't make their payments versus the third quarter. And those numbers improved on a percentage basis. But the foregone rent that was not collected went from 9.1 to 9, $9.2 billion in the third quarter. Foregone mortgage payments not collected went from $16 billion in the second quarter to $19 billion in the third quarter. Mm. What does that tell you? white collar layoffs. The layoffs are moving up the income ladder and they're more a product of what you would think of as a conventional recession. So it's the economy slows, there's demand destruction because of it, and then companies stop hiring and then companies start laying off. It's a process. So we've come far enough into the current recession because employment is always the last thing to go. I'm not talking about the temporary you know, huge decline, 22 million jobs lost immediately because of the shutdowns. I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about white collar professional workers, KPMG, um, Deloitte and Touche. And, and you're seeing more management, HQ, salaried employees. Those types of jobs being lost are harder on the economy than the 28,000 jobs that were lost at Disney, as splashy as that headline was, 67% were part-time workers. So- well, and, and by the way, those white collar jobs, if uh, listen to those folks that are losing those jobs that are being laid off at that level, they're not coming back. Uh, well, the, I mean, the other jobs will come back. Those jobs won't come back. If you think that the C-suite sitting around, the leadership of the company is looking to say, okay, let's bring all the mid-level managers back. Let's bring all the execs. We just laid off 4,000 execs. Execs, like, you know, I know what I would be thinking. Nope, got to do without them because that's a heavy salary load. That's a heavy burden. I can bring back, you know, 10 employees for every one of those or so. But their, their cost structure's improved. They've yeah. cut business travel out of their, out of their budgets. And yep. now in this new Zoom world, when their employees are working remotely, they pick up a, a spreadsheet. It's very cold. It's very objective. And they're like, this person's productive. This person's not. And that's how so, you determine who stays and who goes. Yeah, I feel like, Danielle, you and I are right now the, the grim reapers. OK, so is there something that is there something positive? Is there something that we can say to people? You know, I, I mean, I know the national debts climbed to twenty seven trillion dollars. Yeah. It's going to get higher without question. Three point one trillion dollar deficit. 
Yeah. Yeah. There's 87,000, uh, what is about 87,000 hours per citizen. I mean, where's some good news in this thing? Well, what I'm hoping the good news is, is a wholesale recognition of having left behind entrepreneurship. I think that we need grants to help companies start new businesses. These are proven successful entrepreneurs. They don't have to reinvent the wheel. They know how to run a business. They know how to start a business. And I think if you have targeted stimulus spending to to revitalize the entrepreneurship community that you could, you could, you could end up with job creation. Cause we don't, I mean, I read a few days ago that only the big box retailers are going to survive and that most of the small stores are going to go away. I mean, but I like to go to dinner in my little community. I like to frequent smaller shops. I, I like to think that there's going to be a telemedicine um, company that's cropping up in somebody's basement. And, and and making my life easier because we've discovered new types of ways to deliver services in a post-pandemic world. Well, so there are, there are going to be many opportunities for people who recognize that. Well, I think that's the good news. The good news is there's new ways of doing things and we're going to adapt to it. The, the good news is we've all adapted to different things, which are actually better for our lives, quite frankly. I mean, I'm eating better. I'm at home more. I'm doing things I've never done before. I think those are all some really good things. And I think it's the best time there ever was to reinvent yourself and and to create a business and to do something that you've always wanted to do, or or you might not have any other choice but to do those things. So, well, you've let me seen. I mean, never in the history of the country have you seen this this magnitude of an explosion of of small business small business applications through yeah. the Census Bureau data. Unfortunately, the vast majority of them are, are self proprietors. And the minority is applications to start businesses with employees. We want to cross that bridge and start creating jobs. Yeah. Well, don't wait on the SBA to help you folks. If you're listening oh, to that right now, not, not, the, you know. I mean, seriously, how could they have, who, who dreamed up the PPP? <laughs> well, you know, but I got to give them some credit. At least I like the way that they did it. And I'm going to say this, uh, Danielle, that we could have forced everybody to go to unemployment right away. We could have had a worse problem. But what they did was, no, 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 let's keep them in the business. At least keep them in the business and then do it from there. And I thought whoever came up with that idea was smart. And there's got that someday we're going to we're oh. going to peel it back and figure out who did that. But I think that was a smart thing to do. The employee retention is great. But if you look at monetary policy and where most of the money has gone into the stock market, you've got companies that are being rewarded every day for layoffs. Yeah. So there's no retention requirements for the larger corporations in America. Well, so, but that gets back to values. If you get, if you got good values, and we've got a lot of people here in the C-suite that, that practice that, the C-suite network that, you know, you've got good values, you don't have to worry about people. It's the other folks you have to worry about. C-suite radio. I'm going to ask you about the Fed, because um, you said many times before that the Fed is bad for America. It's also the title of your book. What recourse can the Fed take to continue to stimulate the economy? I mean, besides zero interest rates, what else can we be doing? The, the, the Fed is begging for stimulus spending openly. Yeah. I mean, the, Powell, Powell had phone calls with Mnuchin and Powell had a phone call with Pelosi. This is a matter of public record. The Fed is 
discovering the limitations of its toolbox and it's begging for more stimulus spending because it knows the one thing that it can do to prop up the stock market, which is preventing the other Armageddon, is quantitative easing. They can at least inject liquidity into the financial system and prop up the stock market. That's And they should be doing more of that. I, I heard early on the Fed chair talk about the fact that they're going to throw money at this. We've thrown some money, but we haven't thrown near the money that needs. That's why I said, I think it's got to go as high as $14 trillion, but no, I'm, not, I'm not an economic guy. I'm a marketing guy. But I look at things and say, look, we got no other choice but to do this at this point. Well, where, we where don't. Do but think- again, to your point, I, we need to bring back, you know, public works. I mean, we have to, if we we just print money, then we're going to end up with inflation. Nobody can believe it because they're like, let me think 1981. That was the last time I was worried about rising interest rates, really worried about it. It's been 40 years. There's no such thing as inflation. Well, you're the economist, but I think you're, I think you're going to have, you're going to have inflation no matter what, but I do, I do like some make work projects, but I also like getting to the money to the people that know what they need to do and let them go do it and create jobs. If I, by the way, if I had more access to money, I'd create a lot more jobs without a question. If I gave that money to a lot of the people that run the C-suite network, I know that we could, they could all create more jobs and, yep. and they wouldn't be using it for the stock market. They wouldn't be using it for uh, buying a new truck or whatever. They'd be doing it for the right reasons, for the right things. Now, let me ask you a question about this because um, we only, we got about seven or eight minutes left. I'm, I want to know, where do you think from an economic standpoint do we stand globally, the U.S.? Are, are, are we coming to the table from a position of strength or is the world taking a wait and see kind of approach until after the election? The, the election is probably more important to the global economy, the U.S. presidential election, than it's been in modern history. Because right now, global debt to GDP, global debt to GDP in the aggregate has crossed 100% of, G, of, of global GDP. So we've, I mean, out, we've surpassed levels that we saw during World War II. Mm. I mean, just, just, I mean, hard things to wrap our heads around. And it is incumbent upon the United States to not fail right now. The world is depending on us. And China's depending on us failing at the same time. Because China has a third of all the telecommunications equipment in the world in one company, Huawei. China has the next generation of artificial intelligence. China has the next generation of quantum physics, quantum computing. And that's where all of the Chinese money that's coming from the government, they're sponsoring the next generation. They buy a lot of semiconductors from the Silicon Valley. But rather than Apple, which invents a new iPhone every few months that whose battery still doesn't work and hasn't really innovated in a long time and buys back a lot of its own shares, China is focused on the United States stumbling and having the technology in hand to use that as a weapon with which to with which to move from being ascend from being the world's second largest economy to the first. And that's that, you know, that that's one of the reasons why they're paring back their holdings of US Treasuries. So it I'm writing about this this week. There's a lot of tension in the world right now. There are a lot of, you know, China trade with Canada, for example, continues to rise very quickly. China's trade with a good portion of South America 
And well, in Africa, I mean, Africa. in Africa as well. Africa, I mean, if you were to travel through Africa, you would think you're almost in China with as many Chinese as you see in Africa. Exactly. So but we have to think about this in when when you have global debt to GDP that, that surpasses 100%, you are in a very, very, very fragile state. And we have to start thinking of the world in terms of if and when the decision had to be made, who would our allies be? Who would go with China? Who would go with the United States? Mm. We have to start looking at the world in that way. We have to make sure that we rebuild our alliances. Yeah. Where, where's Nixon when we need him? So the, the, if you want to go way back to that, but, you know, if we're in an economic war right now with China and have been for a long time. So why? So then it, it begs the question. I mean, you raised the C word, which is China. What the, I want to talk about the long term effects we're seeing the result of the supply chain being affected. I mean, when this thing occurred with covid, it's immediate how dependent we were on China because 90% of our pharmaceuticals or 80%, I don't know what the figure is. It's just say it's more than 50%. And it's a lot more than that. It's like 80, 90% are being manufactured in China. So even if we wanted the vaccines, even if we wanted the pills, even if we wanted the, the, the cough drops or the cough medicine, it's somewhere else. And, and to me, it would seem that we would probably bring back a lot of that supply chain that was a huge sucking sound for many years that went over there and now we would start to bring that back. Do you think that's going to happen? Look, we've got it, it, in, a, in a period of calm, we're losing 750 Americans a day. This, this is a calm time for the virus in the United States. So we're quietly losing 750 people a day. If, if the powers that be in Washington, D.C. don't recognize what you've just described as a national security issue, such that we need to ensure public-private partnership that we rebuild the pharmaceutical industry here in the United States such that we're never reliant on another country again. We've learned nothing from this episode if we don't make that priority number one. Yeah, I think so. I saw someone make a comment in the chat that says the supply chain for pharma will move. A majority will not be back in the U.S. And I would bet that's probably the case. Wrong move, in my opinion, but nonetheless, wrong move. And so, well, let me ask you this question. As a business owner, what is the one thing we need to do now to prepare for the next crisis to get ready? Can we? Gosh, I mean, really, right now, it's all about cash flow. It's cash. It really is. It, it is about cash flow. It is about that's the other C word. Cash. It's, it's cash. About, yeah, it, it's because because your cash is your cushion right now. Your cash is the only thing that's going to buy you time. Yeah. That well, that's, and, and, and your most loyal employees. Yeah. Well, both of those. Right. It's time to dig down. This is the time you go back to your employees right now and you talk about how tough it is. This is it. Yeah. And, we're, I mean, you, and why you we think it's say we're in before. startup mode. We're in yeah. startup mode again in order to survive. Yep. Yep. So, you know, I, I, and by the way, let's get, let's be clear. You know, I have sometimes where an employee might say, geez, it's only $500. I said, I don't know where you're from. $500 is $500. We want that $500. Yeah. And right now I'm, and they're hearing that from me loud and clear. The other C word, cash, cash, cash. I spend a majority of my time finding cash. And that's, that's not what you want a CEO to do, but that's what CEOs have to do right now to pay You're those in a world bills. Of, companies have been monkeying with their profits for, for five, six years now. Yeah. All that matters right now is your top line. Yeah. That's it. Your top line and your ability to conserve cash. Amen. You heard it right there. Thanks so much, uh, Danielle. It's been a pleasure to have you. I always enjoy having you. We, this is the closest I always remind me of being back on my Bloomberg days. 
This is like, <laughs> we have these good conversations, the give and take. It, it makes me feel like I'm really back on Bloomberg on the set of Bloomberg. And we're having some great conversations and, and a little bit of debate and a little bit of tension is always a good thing too. And I love that. You knock it out of the park every time. You're listening to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett, brought to you by C-Suite Radio, a podcast network featuring today's top business experts and is part of the C-Suite Network, the world's most trusted network of C-Suite executives. Find this and other business podcasts on c-suiteradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.